Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 2 bonus episode, interview with Bud Smith, author of Teenager. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Uh, I'm like all fucked up about what my name is here, but I, I got a job and, and now I like can't use my name, I feel. You can. You, you may. I mean, it's it's up to you to not say incriminating, indemnifying things. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's just... Uh, What's your name? Bobby. That's it. All right, you're just Bobby. I got to take your name off the website, though, because yeah. your name's all over the website. Yeah, just sh- strike it out. Anyway, sorry that we don't, we're don't. we hijacking the beginning of but We talk about this every episode, though, so it's no different. It's it's canon for the podcast. All right. Um, What's up, bud? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Doing good. Now, you guys are friends. Yeah. yeah. We know, how, how long have we known each other for? Like 10 years? Yeah. Something like that? I think 2012. Or 2011 or 12 or something. Well, yeah. happy anniversary. Yeah. Happy anniversary, yeah. And we know each other through Mark Burnetti, who I think all that stuff is defunct, right? The the Idiom Mag and Piscataway House, all that stuff is no longer going. The books are still available and published through Piscataway, but I, I don't know if they. Um, that's my uh, first two novels, so it's Tollbooth and Teeny and uh, Tollbooth and F two fifty. Sorry, are they? They're still available. You yeah, can still they're, they're not out of print. Wow, I thought that I for some reason I thought that that stuff was out of print. No, no, it's it's been in print the whole time and. Um, it's uh, maybe they, they haven't put anything else out in a long time, and they haven't um, done the idiom in a long time. But uh, no, those books are still in print through them. Yeah, let's get let's let's talk him into doing the idiom again because uh, I don't know. I feel like New Jersey needs uh, appalling aesthetics, but but uh, a righteous punk ethos in in literary magazines. Yeah, totally. And a couple of years ago, he did say he was going to start up the idiom again. Send him some stuff. Talked to Mark a few days ago on the phone. And I think he said he hasn't really done anything with literature in like four years, you know. He's just been doing the, uh, some playing in the band. Yeah. Puppy Grease, Puppy right? Grease, yeah. I've never seen them. They're great. I'm like, dude, right. I'm due to go see them again. Okay, well, when, when you do, because I'm sure they're playing near near me somewhere, because Mark's just like a local guy. Um, plus, he's marrying my brother's high school best friend. Oh, cool. Anyway, that's another story entirely. Well, speaking of New Jersey, we can kick off the interview because <laughs> there is there's been Joey's this, trying to get us back on track. There's been this weird kind of not unexpected, but like so many novels that we read this season, the campus season, are with characters that are from New Jersey, and this book goes everywhere basically, but starts in New Jersey, and I, th- I think it's cool that we have you know the podcast very New Jersey, uh, but that we have representation, our hometown state represented, featured prominently in Teenager. Yeah, well, you know, anytime you go. Well, anytime I go anywhere and uh, I start talking to people, it just seems like someone's aunt is is retired somewhere in New Jersey. They could be from like, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole tri-state area. It just seems like they all want to retire in like Manchester, New Jersey or Tom's River, New Jersey or something. <laughs> and, and they're in these little retirement communities that are like, you could get to the beach, I guess. But they're they're also just you know tucked away a little bit. But they're still in these. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. So like I meet people all the time who are like, um, where they're from. Like, I was just talking to a guy the other day. He's from like upstate New York, and uh, it's like, where are you from? And I say the town, and he goes, Oh wow, I used to go to the beach there every summer with my family, which isn't like unrealistic. It happens a lot, but he was coming from really far away, and then they were going all they were going specifically to Seaside Park and specifically to like. I go to. So I was like, oh, and that happens all the time. 
Yeah, that's the weird thing is like with New Jersey geography, it's like either people know everywhere or they know nowhere. It's like, oh, we're in New Jersey. I'm like, do you do you how are you asking this question? How much knowledge do you have about New Jersey? Like if I say the town where I live, are you going to have any idea where that is? Oh, no, I only know uh, Rutgers. No, but everybody knows when like because if I talk to people, they say, where where are you from? And I say Madison. They have no idea where that is. But then I'm like. I just place it between Asbury and Seaside, and they know, like, exactly what I'm talking about. Shore points. Shore to please. Yeah. S-H-O-R-E. Yeah, it's, it's not that uncommon. It's, Cal- it's like California. They, You know, you know the main shore towns in California. It's just like a location yeah. people want to go to. Also, it's like, I think, uh, as, as far as your book is concerned, like, New Jersey is also a good uh, starting point because it, it's like a, it's a cross-country novel. So it, it, like, has to start on one coast and end on the other, right? Like in order to take in all of the American mythos that that we do, you have to sort of like traverse all of the geography of America. So it makes sense to start in New Jersey. And yeah, California. I think if I had started, uh, if I had started I it at starting in California and ending in New Jersey is is backwards because nobody. Well, it's not the American dream, right? Like yeah. the, the American dream is to go west, right? Uh, what's that called? It's manifest destiny. Manifest, manifest destiny. destiny. Yeah. yeah, I thought if I started it in Plymouth at Plymouth Rock, they would have uh, they would have cut my head off it's a little too yeah it's a little on the nose yeah but we end up we end on the oregon trail so all right at the, yeah, at the end of the oregon trails where it, where it ends yeah right on in in a scene that bob wanted you to cut from the original version yeah of the novel. Do, do, do you remember that i i talked about that in the in the uh uh in in the app um in the the when we talked about the book uh but like when uh, when I read the original version of this novel, whenever that was, must have been five years ago or so, and uh, like you had sent me an early copy of it, and I gave you notes on it, and like one of the notes that I gave you was like cut the stuff with them like living in the trees and things like that because I was like this feels like unrealistic, different from the rest of the book, and then and, and like obviously like I was completely wrong about that stuff, but like no, no, you weren't wrong. I mean, sometimes it takes a long time to uh, to make the whole thing work together. And probably instead of cutting some of that stuff, like feedback is always great, but sometimes you get feedback and what's suggested, it's not right or it's usually not right or it's usually not wrong. It's just feedback, you know, and, but it's pointing at something that's glaringly wrong in the book. You know, it's out of bounds. It's out of, it's out of sync with itself. And I think probably what, what had to happen with the book was it needed more fantasy and it needed more, hallucinations and daydreams and like magical things in the rest of the book to make it so when we get to that part with the living in the trees you can kind of accept it i have i have a question about the the earlier iteration but before i get there did you add in the like i don't know if you want to call it like brain i guess brain damage is not unfair to say what code like cody's affliction but like did you add in his like sort of hallucinations visions to for that dreamlike quality like does that is that does A become B in that in that sense, or is that just like a an, an added, or is that like unrelated? I can't I can't ever really make sense of like when things happened and why it happened. Looking back, because I'm like I'm really good at destroying and erasing drafts, not only in physical reality but like just from my mind. And I can kind of only like think. I have to print the book out each time or retype it. It's the best thing to do, really. Um, and and just like look at what it is for what it is now. So in some sense, yeah, I guess you could say, you know, he probably did gain um, the hallucinations became more important for the storytelling and the way it's told um, as a way to kind of balance reality against um, 
the abstraction of, of how the emotions of the novel feel. But I, I can't remember like um, a moment where I was like, oh, if I do this, then it'll it'll make sense of all my bullshit. You know, it just it feels like you just have to kind of keep reading it and reworking it, and then set it down for a while. And, um, I had a couple times when I like took a bunch of uh, hallucinogenics and just thought about the book, and it was a terrible idea. And and I just had like such a like bad 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 experience. Um, but then you know I sobered up the next day. Um, I realized all the things that were really bothering me about the book that I thought were like definitely things I should get rid of or probably things I should lean into because they 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 had bothered me so much. Like I think the the elevation of the dreamlike stuff and the hallucina- hallucinations and the um the movement away from uh like a harder realism into like kind of because I think of it as as a folktale almost um and and the movement away from realism toward that folktale stuff really elevates everything that 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 the story's doing so um when you're like when you're talking about editing going back and you know re envisioning the book and taking stuff out um like I know that you're not uh, a precious writer because I, you know, uh, we've talked about your process and things like that, and and you you uh, are quick to kill your darlings, uh, so to speak, right? Like nothing nothing is too uh, too good to take out, or nothing's too uh, like you can always rewrite it, right? Yeah, I can always rewrite it. Uh, a lot of times, I don't feel like I go too far backwards. So like every draft I do, I feel like I'm kind of. Usually going a little farther down the path of like what's the stuff. I mean, I like to add things, you know. And and usually if I like delete, like let's say even if I go through a draft and it goes from eighty thousand down to like fifty five thousand, somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm I'm still stuck on the fact that the book was eighty thousand, and not that it's just a strange thing where that I'm like, oh great, now I can add back in all these. <laughs> I'm trying to do the math. I'm just stupid. Whatever it is, twenty five thousand words of like better stuff. And it's just like a cool benchmark for me where I feel like it's kind of like a controlled burn of a forest or something, you know, getting rid of all the stuff, but then, you know, new things can grow there in that same space and they can all be healthier and work together. But a lot of times it's like just realizing the stuff that's kind of phoned in and not really working at its best and being willing just to say, you know, I either need to just like, I need to retype this from scratch, this 30 pages of it or whatever, I need to just retype it from scratch or I need to like take the lid off the top of the thing, shake the story out on the ground, and start turning pieces of it upside down to try to see like what's on the other side of that character or this place or this interaction to, to kind of make it less of like a closed fist and more of an open hand kind of thing. Was there a particular like moment or interaction or scene or character or anything that like you unlocked by re- – like was there anything that you were trying to figure out like even if you were unconsciously – you're like, something's not right here. Something's off. I'm trying to figure out what this is, I'm trying to make this work. Is there something that, like that rewriting like really clicked into place with this one? Or did it all just sort of like, was it less cut and dry than that? This one, not so much. This one, I kind of, it, you know, began as like an outline a long time ago. And I just kind of see the, and like Bobby said, it's kind of based, it's like a folktale kind of thing. So it's based on a lot of like American myth kind of stuff. And you kind of, for me, I like know the, the tropes of it. And I was just trying to do the best I could with making the language completely personal in my own and the point of view as personal in my own as possible within the confines of, you know, this is like, you know, some people rewrite uh, Hamlet or whatever. This is like Bud Smith rewrites Babe in the Big Blue Ox or something. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it, it's definitely part of like the Starkweather lineage, right? Yeah, like, for there, sure. There's, 
a number of uh, American films and and novels that are like uh, the, the there's the Stark Weather murder murders where like Badlands came from that and Natural Born Killers came from that and I think that this is being within the lineage of that but I also think of this as uh, like a much sweeter book than than those stories are. I like I like I like these characters a lot better than I like Mickey and Mallory, and I like these characters a lot better than I like whatever Martin Sheen and Sissy. Although Sissy Spacek is pretty likable in that movie, but like I at the same time these are like you know Cody's a murderer. So well, I, th- I think part of that is that you do a great job of keeping Teal relatively pure. Yeah, well, I just thought of them as you know abused people and abused people they react in different ways. Um, some people were interviewing me sometimes about the book and they were kind of like a little bit like Teal's, she's way quiet in the beginning of the book and like she's just shell-shocked, you know. She's gone through all this abuse uh, from her father and, and her mother just turning a blind eye to it. And she finally like has this thing happen where, you know, forced it to abortion and it seems like she's get she's just about to get away from, you know, all the shit she's enduring in America, she's about to be sent to Rome, and here comes the abused boyfriend. Uh, his and his reaction is totally different than hers, which is to kind of shut off. His reaction is to, uh, you know, try to be the the Don Quixote hero of it all and uh, shoots the parents. So I, I just thought of it as, um, you know, the the misunderstood myth of the country and people getting so many things wrong from like growing up watching. Schwarzenegger movies or whatever. He's a, I guess he's a bad example. We're sending like an Austrian out to like, <laughs> you know, uh, kill the predator. But I'm just saying like, we have these like this macho gun violence thing. And it, I grew up, I remember when the, when the, the switch was flipped and all of a sudden school shootings, Columbine, and it was, it went from bomb threats all the time to, you know, someone's going to come and shoot the school up and it's never gotten better every year. It's only gotten worse. So we live in this yeah. you know, obvious, obvious cycle of gun violence, but um, our history as a country has just been a, a, a cycle and lineage of genocide and perpetuated violence. So, I mean, how do you um, how do you tell that story? You tell the story of America, basically, right? Like, which this kind of is. But it's also, I mean, I, and and like part of that is that America is also this. Uh, like all the American myth and, and and the stories that come from that are also incredibly romantic and can be beautiful and things like that. But it's ro- it's romance and beauty, but that's like rotted through. It's like a, a you know an apple that you bite into and it's all fucked up inside. Yeah, it's a it's a place of denial and um, no self awareness. So I tried to give that to all the characters. They're all pretty much in denial. They're all pretty much not self aware. And even when they get the thing they thought they wanted, they are still. Most of the time, just trying not to face up to the fact that all the energy they put towards getting there and getting towards it was not only a fool's errand, but much worse than that, usually. Yeah. Um, I am on record as saying that I think the coolest thing that anyone can possibly do is steal a cop car. So that really won me over to, to these characters and to their mission, regardless of any murders, um, because that's like a, an all-time dream of mine. Is to, to steal a cop car. So oh uh, yeah, once you, that once you start writing like a, a story where like they're low they're the low key the god of chaos pretty much and they can do whatever they want and they can get away with it you know I'm surprised he didn't steal you know steal a spaceship and blast off to the moon <laughs> but uh, to to a certain degree you know it falls under that um, that abstraction and that 
that uh, tall tale, folk tale kind of thing. Well, I think that's that's an interesting thing that like for a lot of the book, they both kind of feel invincible. And then there's a point where because like all all book long, you're like, there's no way that he makes it out alive. Like, it seems like that's just how these kind of things kind of end. Yet somehow he's still always one step ahead or getting lucky or whatever. And then there's a moment where like Teal almost dies. You're like, wait, I didn't see her. Like, how do you balance like sort of the bulletproof God mode video game sort of thing where it's like they can't die early on because then it becomes a completely different book. But like, how do you balance that with actually keeping like a suspense and like actual, you know, narrative tension? I'm not really sure. I certainly could have had him die in, in the third chapter. Still had something interesting and full of tension happen, but you're right, it would just become a different book. It's just like, you know, you write these things and you're just trying to keep yourself interested. And uh, there's a, there's something that happens each draft I kind of do. Um, I, I will get bored, you know, I, especially like I'm retyping the book and I feel like if I'm sitting down at my type, literally my typewriter, and I've printed it out from the computer and I put the laptop away and I'm sitting down and I'm doing this. If, if I'm just copying the words down from the computer laptop printout and I'm retyping it on the typewriter, I might as well shoot myself in the head. Like, what am I doing? You know, it's like the, that's not what it is. It's making it a first draft again and making it exciting again, an advanced first draft, obviously, but you're, tr- you're trying to recapture that energy and excitement you had the first time you were like playing around with these things. And when you start to like pick at the plot, that's really what it is. Like a lot of writers, like I'm a sentence writer. I just write sentences, and that's maybe that's true. But I think most writers are just, um, you know, they're they're doing a blend of everything, and they're just not maybe they're not being honest with themselves, and they're not honest with like generally what you know what people want to read. And I know what I want to read. And that's all I can do. And I want to read something that's really blended with like a really dense plot and a dense actionable plot i mean like someone's going somewhere in a physical space doing something physical but an emotional plot right so there's like a whole you know we feel things and and it's always like oh my god do the characters change enough or whatever and all that none of that matters really but what matters is what do you feel a range of emotions as you're reading the, as you're reading your own work and putting the work into it so like when i talk about retyping things and improvising while i while I do it is how it goes. It's like, am I actually feeling something when I'm when I'm doing this work, or am I just pecking out those letters how they are on that page like a dead person? You gotta have to like be open and and try and try your best to um, to really to really feel something deep and uh, make yourself laugh, surprise yourself. I know people say that all the time, but it really is true. So we're talking about earlier like. Bobby was talking about deleting towards the end of the book. He, you know, got the critique, and not only from Bobby. I think I got it from um, early, early actual editors of the book, who were early publishers, who were like, "Ah, you don't need the Oregon stuff. Like, it should just end in Los Angeles, and, and that should be it." You know, whatever. But it's like, um, you know, they don't need to get into the trees. They don't need to get into the, the, you know, up into the, uh, the evergreen territory. But it's like Azure. As you're writing the book again, as you're going through it again, uh, you know all of a sudden they're at a zoo. Who, who better to talk about how to catch a tiger and how to make a tiger trap than an annoyed zookeeper? You know, <laughs> and the kid doesn't understand how to do it. So it just becomes this like inside joke within an inside joke within an inside joke. Where all of a sudden, you know, I've found a way to 
okay, so the zookeeper tells them about, you know, making like a Vietnam War tiger trap um, and to act for them to actually, the logistics of them to actually do it. I just get excited by that. And then I start to work on it. I want to go back through the book and add this, this new little inside joke I have. And that's how it just changes over time. Yeah. It's, it's surprising, but especially like the tiger trap stuff, like functions as that kind of Chekhov's gun thing, but it's also uh, masks in a way that you would never like see that, the the reader i don't think sees that through to the end but then when it happens it's like oh yeah shit of course because i think i i know this is what i was thinking as a reader the natural end point for this book or like what you're thinking of as the natural end point for the book is the confrontation between teal's brother and cody right like that's that's the two gunslingers show up they deal, they, 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 they fight it out, and then the book ends right after that conflict. One of them wins, one of them loses. But you, you get to that point, and then there's like another 40 pages of book to go or something like that. And not only that, but it's almost like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's like an afterthought. It's just like it, it's over before it begins, and just like, all right, we're moving on. Yeah, that's how I kind of approached the whole book. I thought a lot of, um, you know, a lot of these stories would probably have, you know, the parents getting shot on like, you know, page 75 or something, you know. There's like... I don't think there's enough things that usually happen in a um, in a novel, especially like a funny novel. You know, someone will just be like telling a bunch of random jokes, but you know, I still I still want I still want to go places and see things and be surprised and outraged and you know shocked. God forbid. Yeah, I was surprised at how quickly and how brutally they because I, I I assumed based on just you know the reading because we were at the uh, this was our first ever field trip for the podcast once you're <laughs> reading for it and i mean just based on like what you read and the vibe and like the back of the thing like i knew it was a road trip novel but i sort of expected i guess just like the parents to kind of be in pursuit but like when they're like erased in like the first what 15 pages or whatever just like oh oh okay i, I didn't see that. so now then it like almost opens up like well i don't know anything that's gonna come yeah i mean uh they used to get killed a lot sooner um but you know as you go along and you're in draft 15 of the thing so every time you do a new draft you're like oh wow this is the best thing i ever wrote this, you know the first new chapter of the book you know this is the best thing i ever wrote i had some friends who uh, read it maybe like draft 13 or you know and then you know what's published is draft 15 let's say and it's out from vintage but my friend was like mad at me what the fuck happened to the opening chapter? It's gone, you know <laughs> and I was like don't worry if you look if you look carefully enough I took that stuff and I put it into the uh, the only like real flashback in the book. Where oh yeah, that's that that, that part uh, is great. When the, when he first meets, when he goes to the church and when he's at school. He goes to the church and um, meets Teal at the football game. Yeah, that helped us fit in officially into the campus season. So thank you for <laughs> yeah. that. Oh, cool. Some of it happened on a school. Oh, oh I got you. We would have we done it anyway, but you know, even now we can't have any sticklers like, oh, it didn't take place at a school. Well, it did. Oh, that's so funny. I was a very quick question about the opening. I'm just I'm very interested in structure of things, and I don't know that I've ever read a book that starts with chapter zero, and then I don't remember what the last one is if it's chapter end or chapter last or chapter fit or something like that. But like, you don't start with one. Like, what was the thinking of starting with zero? Well, you know, there used to be, um, like I said, there was a different chapter that opened it up, and then I think we got to the water tower. It didn't. It didn't used to open up with. It didn't even used to have escaping from the uh, from that facility. You just kind of like kind of mentions it through conversation a couple of times that, you know, he's broken out of this place and he's, you know, he went, he went to see her. So usually, usually just start off with the, at the top of the 
Robert Tower was how it started. And that was chapter one for a long time. And then I kept like, um, you know, throughout the years, you know, a lot of a lot of people reach out here and there and they're like, hey, I got this book. Do you want to swap or like whatever? And I started teaching workshops at my apartment here. And I've noticed so many times, like the thing that I didn't like about a lot of stories was that if it was, lin- if it was linear, like out of time and it was like, you know, so many flashbacks that you the whole time you couldn't consider anything a flashback. You know, time was just really slippery. It was great, you know. But I usually hated it if I read a book and it was like in linear time and then all of a sudden we just have like a random ass flashback and then it goes back to linear time and then we go a little longer. We have a random ass flashback. For some reason it always like really took the air out of the tires. So I would always like, you know, my comments for those kind of stories was like, why don't you just put this cool shit in order and when you have it in order maybe you can even focus on like the tension of how one scene to another actually builds on the thing because if, if you take it out of order sometimes that stuff gets erased so i gave myself that own advice in, in this in this book and move that thing to the front but you have touched on on a thing that drives me absolutely crazy and that i've been like railing against for I don't even know how long is is. I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast stuff that does that 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 doesn't have to be nonlinear. That for some reason, uh, like they, they, they just throw us back. Like everything that you just every said, every TV show now is, 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 is something that I've been complaining about for like years. Yeah, and I mean flashbacks are are really cool when like they're handled with someone I think who is like really considering like the the benefits of like telling that kind of story. Flashbacks can be amazing, and like nonlinear storytelling really not flashback. You know, it kind of it, it represents like a a certain kind of you know way of thinking and psyche on parts of the characters. Let's say usually, like famously, maybe in like Slaughterhouse Five, there's a reason why it's told at a time. The guy's got PTSD and he's seeing UFOs. He's on the UFO in a UFO prison. At the same time, he's like imprisoned by in a Nazi you know uh, PO, POW camp. So like. I, you know, I get all that and it's wonderful, but like for me sometimes I'm like, oh, you know what, man, I just think like I can do a better job um, if I really focus on that. But like to actually answer your question, so why is there chapter zero? Why is there chapter, I don't even know, 15 and a half, there's chapter 22 and a half, like whatever it is, there's, if you look through the book, there's like, you know, random chapters where um, the reason why that started happening was because almost in the final drafts of the book that where it was starting to, we were figuring out where the art's going to get placed and why we would start to like, look at, um, you know, Oh wait, we should put this drawing in here, but let's, I'm going to break it up and put another chapter here. Just speak to, to, to like fit the art better to make it like more of an art object. was like the idea. And I thought a lot of times like, Oh, I really want to put this illustration at the end of the chapter, but that would right now that'd be in the middle of this chapter. So I'm going to make a new one. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't really, I don't really sweat the small stuff a lot of times. So like, I think the book has kind of like a disheveled, shaggy kind of like structure in a way, and the characters and the way that everybody thinks and the way it's designed and laid out is like purposely just like, let's make this thing a strange, shaggy art object. You know, it's chapter zero because I didn't want to renumber every <laughs> every chapter <laughs> in the book. You know, I, and, I, and I was like. I was like, I'm not doing that again, you know. I'm just going to focus on the writing, and I'm going to focus on like getting the getting the story as amazing as possible in what felt like the limited time I had to like really do the most amazing um, draft I could do. And I certainly wasn't going to spend, um, you know, four hours on some shit that didn't matter, making sure I had the uh, 
you know, chapter numbers in order and correct. I said, that stuff doesn't matter. What really matters is the story is propulsive, and fun and strange, and as beautiful as I can make it. If I had something in there that was odd and off, I thought it maybe it matched the spirit of the book, but it wasn't so much done to be weird or to like, you know, it just happened through building the thing and I left, I left the mistakes in. That's all I can say about that. Well, I think it's cool. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, I think we mentioned it on the podcast briefly, but the art that you mentioned about placing the art was done by your wife, Ray. And it's just very cool. Like, it's not always like what, what I would picture because like there's all, there's almost like a picture per chapter. And it's not always the, the type of picture that I would expect to see in that chapter, or like associate with that chapter or whatever, but it always, it's cool. So what was that process like working with her and getting that in there? Well, it was great. When they, when I first heard, one of the first things I heard was, um, you know, Vintage wanted to buy the book, and they had two questions. Did I want to edit it? Which I was like, oh, I could say no to that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to edit it. You know, I wanted to – I want. I, I told I told the editor, I said, I want to do three more drafts of this thing. And um, the content never um, regressed. If anything, it got um, – it got wilder. It got more. It got more developed in a savager way that I didn't expect a, uh, a large press would. Uh, I thought. I thought they, you know, censor you a bit, and that wasn't my experience. But so that was pretty great. Uh, when I say too, it got savager emotionally too, not just like blood, blood and guts. You know, I think it. I was kind of let let go. However, I wanted you know, run wild with it. Don't worry about it. You know, I was never like under the impression that I could say offensive things or something. But the other, the other question was, can we, um, can we illustrate this thing? And I was like, I heard that and I was like staring at the email, like, Oh man, this is how they're going to ruin it. You know? (laughs) And, but I just said, well, yeah, totally. Let's do it. Let's sign this contract. Let's, and I figured they would probably propose a bunch of illustrators to me and, uh, I'd see their sample work, and who knows? Maybe I'd see the most amazing shit I ever seen. But I figured probably it would wind up being stuff I didn't like, and I could kind of weasel my way out of it, you know. But then uh, next thing I knew, um, you know, my agent had sent the editor a copy of Dust Bunny City, which me and Ray had done, and uh, they wanted to hire her. That's super cool. Yeah, it was great. So it was, you know, so we then we had a talked about this a lot, and I, you know, I feel like I'm just repeating myself endlessly, but. We had like a home arts and crafts project that we, we you just work on. So she, you know, she would draw. She had a list of um, things the editor was like, "Oh, this would be cool for this chapter." And it was like, you know, fifty things or something. She drew all that stuff and um, sent, you know, after like a month or two, sent that in. And it was like, "Wow, these are fucking awesome!" And then she just kept going. You know, she redrew a lot of the things. She was like, not happy with a lot of. Um, a lot of the things, the way they were, even the way they were coming out after like multiple drafts of the drawing. So she would just invent new things for the chapter based on like the way it felt. So she would get abstract with the, some of the content um, to kind of represent what the characters were feeling or what they were going through rather than like drawing Graceland itself, which was like a suggestion. Somehow she, you know, wound up drawing bananas because, <laughs> uh, and I don't know, those are some of my favorite ones in the book where she just couldn't get she couldn't get what the suggestions were, you know, like Todd Portnovitz was the editor. So he, he had this list and it was wonderful. And probably like 60% of the drawings in the book are just things that Todd said the first time. Like, wow, this would be cool. This would be cool. And so Ray just, he's got a real vision. He's a, he's a really brilliant man. 
and um, really easy to um, be inspired by and um, very quick on his toes with like you throw him a curveball and you know he's he's a lot like a lot of my friends in real life who I admire you can just talk to them about stuff and they like always have some kind of strange idea that you can just kind of like chase down you know he actually reminds me a lot of uh, you and Bobby you and you know Mark Bernetti you guys are just like down to try whatever you know but um like you were when we did Bob Tolkien. is smiling. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll take, I'll take the compliment. When we did, when we did the edits on Tolkien, it was the same thing. I remember, um, the way I got the edits for that book, you remember Bobby, you guys sent me an, an hour long PDF of you guys just arguing about Yeah. Uh, an MP3. An MP3. Yeah. And, uh, it was great. I just listened to that. I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. And I remember <laughs> just going through it based off this argument you guys had and just like work, worked on the book for a few months and sent it back. Yeah. I remember, I remember wondering if that was the most effective way for us to do that. But Mark was just like, Mark, Mark and, and this other guy ink came to my apartment and he put a microphone in the middle of the table and he was just like, let's just talk about the book and that'll be what we do. And I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. I don't know if this will. Yeah. No, we are the original bad boy of book podcasting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, that stuff's great. So, I mean, that worked for us here on this project too, in a way. Um, and, um, so anyway, so now now Ray has all the drawings. She has like sixty five or whatever the drawings, and we like started to now worry. We were really worried because all of a sudden now the professionals are going to get involved, you know. So really the professionals are going to start sticking the art in the book, and sometimes they could do something really beautiful, and other times I think they could do something a little too formal. So I was drafting up these emails explaining like the vision for the book and how I wanted it to be like a little anarchistic and an art object in a way and like me and Ray were just like, fuck it. Let's just lay the book out ourselves. Let's make a PDF or example of this thing in like a, uh, you know, a word processing program. It's not going to be the best, but it's going to look similar to how it, it should look when it's done. Yeah. And we wound up sending that to the designer and they were just like, awesome. I know what to do now. And they pretty much mimicked it. They definitely improved on some of the things we did and made it even more interesting. Um, but they had, I think we gave him a pretty good guide and, uh, it worked out. And I, I don't know if, um, I just never knew you were really allowed to do that stuff. I thought you were, you always offense. And maybe I did offend somebody. No, it, it seems like in, it, it almost like good fortune and everything, like the editor you had and, and like the publisher and this art designer, it's like, it feels like a lot of things you're doing. It's just like, it could piss people off. They're all like this school, man. Like, it just seems like everybody was like unknowingly or accidentally or just happenstance on the same page, which just sort of seems like it was meant to be. Yeah. This, this, this project was really meant to be, there was never any um, hiccups or headaches and every uh, dra new draft of it and every, new design draft of it, it got cooler and cooler and cooler. And there was never a moment really where I was just like, Oh my God, what a mistake. What a mistake. And I think a lot of authors have that happen to them and they feel like they didn't get to do what they wanted. And, uh, yeah, I did, I did just get lucky. That's why I want to keep working with, uh, the um to, for for listeners that haven't I don't know why you would listen to the podcast without having read the book because there's spoilers all over the place but the drawings are like kind of blind contours but not really blind contours a blind contour is a drawing where you draw something without looking at the looking at the page and so like the lines don't exactly uh, line up but it's very clear that that's not what it is because the the illustrative quality of it you can definitely tell uh, what what everything. Um, is very clearly, I think. Yeah, she has a really interesting way she edits her work and redrafts it. She like 
she'll do like a, a scribble blind contour of it and like have a stack of them. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I'll look at them and I'll be like, oh man, I don't know. There's something really interesting about this one. This one's the ugliest or the weirdest. Um, and I'll say, do you think you can make it more mutated or melted or something? And so she, sometimes she'll just, you know, pointedly redraw it in that same style, but no longer blind contour in that direction. Right. And other times she'll just take it and she'll scan it into the computer and she'll start to scratch, stretch it with um, scaling and she'll manipulate it in Photoshop, print that out, and then um, just redraw from that. Um, so eventually, oh, wow. That's really yeah, so she has like a really mixed approach to how she does it. And she'll make like something she does a bunch of drawings of and then she's like, oh, this would be more interesting as a block print. And she'll start to cut the block print out and do that and then want to manipulate that in Photoshop and that turns into a new version of the block print. And uh, yeah, it just kind of keep, keeps evolving and like the same kind of feeling I think I'm going for with the uh, the reason why I redrafted. That's how she does her art. She's just kind of like, Every time she comes back to the sketch, she wants to like make it more interesting and surprising, and uh, or, or why bother redoing it? You know, it's not to perfect it. It often gets in a way worse and more interesting, and more uh, takes on a new quality with more energy in it. And sometimes the sketches regress. You know, you can see they get sloppier or rawer, and they get more interesting. Yeah, I love I, I love the way you put that because like I. Uh generally like art uh not just art but like writing as well that is sloppy and imperfect because it, it definitely has like an energy that like sort of cold perfection doesn't really often have yeah totally i think some people who maybe read this novel um, you know they might be turned off by some of my other work because it's it's different or it's going different goes in different directions and um and I think that's kind of the point of, of why you, you know, keep doing it, why you keep making stuff. Because otherwise, if you just keep perfecting what you do, I don't think it goes anywhere. It doesn't get, doesn't get any deeper than that. I feel like I tried to pressure you into writing a science fiction novel. Is that true? Did I do that? You know, some people over the years have said I should write, <laughs> they want to see a fantasy novel for me or a science fiction novel for me. And, um, I, I do have one I've been working on. Um, I've written a couple drafts of it on my, you know, my typewriter, which is like how I love to work that way. And it's like, uh, you know, I just think it's going to just take me a while. It's maybe a little bit more of a, like a fantasy sci-fi kind of thing, meeting kind of like the style of teenager in a way. But the, um, hmm. I think if you read like um, James Joyce or like Hemingway, those books where they match the prose to the uh, the age and experience of the characters. Sure. Yeah. So I'm just saying, there's like a, na a naivety. <laughs> naivety, is that how you just say that word? Uh, that's an impossible word to pronounce. Yeah. I, it, it's a word that I've, I've read a million times, and I don't, I, I couldn't tell you how it's pronounced. Yeah, it's like naivety. Naivety. Yeah, it's it's tied Maybe. to these uh, tied to these characters. And, what was the word that I learned how to pronounce in the podcast? Oh, ennui. Ennui. Yeah, yeah. Joey, in, in like the first episode of the podcast, Joey fucking totally bungled ennui. ennui and uh, and I, I was uh, maybe a little too mean to him about it. Well, it didn't stick with me fully. I'm still scarred by it, but like the scar is scabbed over, so. Yeah, well, you're not French. That, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I There's lots of French shit that I can't pronounce, too. 
so the you know the the nature of this of of the podcast is that it functions kind of a book club so we do things by modules uh so each thing is like a 10 book block we're not going to make you name 10 books but do you, can you can you create a little module for us of of other people's books that you could like if you could make people read three books with a with a sort of theme either like inspired by or related to or thematically similar to your book or not at all if you have if you just like three books you think are cool or whatever also sorry for springing this question on you without prepping you for it before no, no, some no. friend no, you no. are no not at all no i can definitely mention some books that are like this um well because i think what, what's interesting about the about the type of story that this is is that there are so many like and a lot of movies and shows that i love that sort of fit this mold but they all feel different from one another and this feels different from all those so like it's not like the sort of the structure is not new but what you do within the, the characters you create is new enough and different enough and fresh enough to like feel still exciting but like true romance like we talked about and badlands and natural born killers and all these like bad people sort of on the run it's it's been done but it's it still feels cool there's still untapped potential there yeah there always will be in genre fiction which is not what this is it's the uh the outlaw road trip novel or whatever um it's the kill your parents novel a lot of writers kind of they drive me crazy because they think they're above genre you know they're like oh i write literary fiction it's uh, just about the sentences and the it's just about the sentences and there's not a plot and all this stuff and like that is so rarely true you know there usually is just like a really undeveloped plot and some sentences that the writer probably thinks are changing the world um but really they to, to most readers they're just kind of like well, shit you know she had some of those beautiful sentences tied to some kind of meat potatoes kind of thing and yeah it's a lot of, a lot of people like uh, uh reflecting on their day while sitting in a bathtub yeah and, and listen thomas bernard is the genius of that you know, he doesn't have to have anything happen, but you read his books and everything happens. It's just like, he's a genius. And, you know, Malloy by Beckett and nothing happens, but he's a genius. And like, I'm just trying not to ever, <laughs> ever pretend or start to think that I don't need to like do these things. I'm not trying to uh, disappear at my own asshole, like Monica says. But anyway, so you, ha you have all these genres that are like really amazing so novels in this genre, I think people should read. And it's probably like that whole quest, the quest across America is probably the, um, it's probably like the theme that ties them all together. And um, it all seems to come from like, you know, the Don Quixote thing initially. So if people haven't read Don Quixote, obviously that's not America, that's Spain. Maybe you heard that book is a classic and, you know, you've heard it's, it's important and, Whenever I start hearing books are important, especially when I was younger, I was like, "Uh oh, that's that's not, that's not a good sign." <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But uh, Don Quixote's that rare, that rare classic that is as funny and fresh um, now, probably as it was written. So good, and I think people should not be not not avoid that one. I'm not saying it has filler, but it has. It's like it's a satire of things that don't that aren't right. that don't exist anymore. So it's kind of hard sometimes to like understand it's it's a satire of a lot of like stories of chivalry that we don't know anymore too much so you read it and, you, and if it feels like you should skip a part skip a part you know <laughs> but anyway so don quixote is amazing and it's like um I'm trying to think like some more modern ones that are that are more really tied to it in america so norwood by um charles portis 
So Charles oh. Portis, he wrote he wrote the great western, one of the great westerns, True Grit, which has been you know obviously adapted in a few films, and that's that's an amazing book of his, and that's maybe his own his only real real genre book, and it's a western, obviously. But he wrote a, a few other amazing comic novels that are some of them road trip novels, like Norwood. It takes place on on a bus from I think it's from Alabama to New York City. Norwood comes back from the Korean War on like discharge because his sister needs someone to take take care of her. And when he gets there, the sister's got this new husband who's driving Norwood crazy. So he goes off on this errant fool's quest to uh, get seventy five dollars and some goes in New York City. And he just rides the bus um, for most of the novel to try to like get there. And it's just like an endless endless encounters with like strange people. And I think that's like something that happens in. Um, a teenager a lot and it's just that old like you know, Odysseus Odyssey quest thing you know you get to a new place and you meet a new wacky character and teach you some new thing but that just comes from ancient folk tales and tall tales and Norwood does a good job of that too sure I, I think that you I, I think that I read a Charles Portis book at your recommendation and I can't remember the name of it well maybe you read Dog of the South which is um, <laughs> another book on a bus this guy, this guy's on a bus chasing his ex-wife who got back together with her first husband all down through Central America on this bus called the Dog of the South. And it's like a, um, a slow chase. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's after her on bus with all these stops along the way. And every time he gets to a new town, he, um, he calls the credit card company and finds out she's just one step ahead. Um, on, on the route that they're taking, so you know, this guy yeah. loves buses. He loves buses, yeah. And I love I love authors who do that, who like are like, you know what, I'm not done writing about buses yet. Or like, I, I love saw, bus too. I love buses. I love trains. It's it's a, a great way to I don't know uh, have have run-ins with people that you would otherwise. So it's like structurally good for the thing you're kind of talking about, where you will run into people. Um, the no, the novel I the 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 Portis novel that you recommended to me was called Gringos. Gringos was probably. I'm surprised I, I suggested that. I was like one of the only ones of his that I thought was like not not as good. Oh, weird. Maybe 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 you were going to read. I don't know. I don't I don't remember exactly how it went. But because he's got, that. I think as he goes along, they kind of they get maybe a little bit better up to True Grit, and then he's got one called Masters of Atlantis, which is about basically a dissection of um, of the cult, um, like the Freemasons or something, or like the Church of Scientology. And uh, they live in this big old crumbling, you know, mansion, pretty much. And like, it's just this guy's, uh, it's like the master in a lot of ways, actually. This kind yeah, of, we should do, we should do a cult, uh, a cult module. Hell yeah. That, that, yeah. With like Emma Klein's The Girls and, and. Uh, Write that down. Yeah. All right. Cult module. Bob has all these ideas for things like we should do this and then like we just forget them because there's too many things going on in the world. So it looks yeah. like I wrote cunt module. On my yeah. Dad. <laughs> do that. Uh, and then, like, I guess write that yeah, down too. Yeah, write that down. <laughs> so the other book I, I'd recommend is um, Lonesome Dove, which is they made it into like a mini series in the nineties. Sure. Some people maybe watched it if they're my age or something. I never did watch it, but the um, that book is about a about these Texas Rangers who live down in Texas, and it's it's after they have nothing, <laughs> they have no more genocide left to commit after the Indian massacres. So they. Have to do something new with their lives, and they decide to steal a bunch of cattle from Mexico and drive it up to Montana, which has just opened up, and it's supposed to supposedly like 
cattle in heaven. So once again, a fool's errand. Um, they're kind of they go off on this like biblical quest of natural disasters and uh, run-ins and you know romances. And it's a really sweet, romantic, and funny book. And uh, and that's Larry McMurtry, right? Yeah, that's McMurtry, who is just. He's who who also did a uh, uh, did he do Last Picture Show? Yeah, he did Last Picture Show. Okay. He wrote um, he wrote a book that was adapted into HUD, which is amazing. Everybody should watch HUD. Paul yeah, Newman. Paul Newman, so good. But like, yeah, he's got so many books. It's kind of hard to crack into his stuff. You kind of have to like just orbit around it for a while and pick out the uh, the major ones. And, but everything I read by him has been really good. Uh, but he's got some like hidden gems that I think as I get, as I continue to be alive, I'll probably figure out are his best books i just haven't gone to yet and and th th there is one more book that you and i have talked about that um i thought about when 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 i was reading this book which is the the john mcphee book about the pine barrens oh yeah of course like so if cody and teal wind up in the pine barrens and they wind up spending maybe there's 10 pages or so out of the book which i'm um, just kind of like roaming around and like lost in that, in that area. And I spent a lot of time growing up, you know, in the Pine Barrens and messing around there and as a kid looking for the Jersey devil. And as like, as an adult driving around and going to bonfires and parties in the Pine Barrens and stuff. And, uh, it's just such an amazing place. And it's like where the Hicks in New Jersey go. It's a lot of people don't realize that New Jersey's got Hicks too. <laughs> We got, we got everything, man. Yeah. Some might say that most of New Jersey is Hicks. Yeah, totally. And I think that's great. And I think once you get into Hick territory, you're actually in America. Sure. Yeah, a lot of nice. a lot of times when you're just you know in the suburbs of New York City and even well, maybe Philadelphia doesn't have a whole lot of actual suburbs for as sprawling as it is, because uh, it's just like it seems like you even got you know Hicks in Philly, you got Philbillies. <laughs> well, it, it does seem it does seem like America exists in cities and in rural areas, and then the suburbs feel like kind of bullshitty. Totally, yeah. I think obviously, like I know I live in Jersey City and I live around New York, and it's just like I feel like I'm just in in the world. You know, everybody's just here, and their cultures are prevalent. It feels good, you know. Yeah. But when I get into what I call, you know, America, I know I'm in. And just as great a cultural place, but it's got its own specific set of superstitions and beliefs and stuff. And uh, yeah, do your own research shit, you know. <laughs> Did you do your own research? Yeah, those, those sort of closed insular communities that are that can feel uh, uh, very, very uh, closed off to um, any any outsiders. I mean, up north, there there's the like the Ramapo Hill people. Um, and that stuff can feel very uh, uh, like I had a student one time that was wrote a paper about how they're 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 sort of pejoratively called the Jackson Whites. Do you know them? Yeah. So I, I had a student one time wrote a paper about how he was like it was it was a narrative nonfiction piece where he was writing about how he like drove into their uh, their neighborhood like because he wanted to go gawk at them. And then like they sort of sealed him off from leaving and sort of like throwing rocks at, at the car. Well, good. His point. Yeah, he, exactly. Like his, his point with the story was that like, these people are freaks. And my point was like, you shouldn't have gone to fucking gawk at them, man. You were not like entering that in a good faith situation. Like you went there because you thought that they were freaks. Yeah, exactly. They treated you like someone who's treating them like they were freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And that person deserves every, all the, all the bad stuff that happens to them. They, they deserve it. 
I mean, yeah. So let me see. Let me see if I got one more novel or two for you here. So this one's even worse for me to recommend because it's from a um, from a guy who loves uh, the Holocaust and genocide, um, Peter Honke, and he wrote a he wrote an amazing book called Short Letter, Long Farewell, which is a satire in a way of like American noir, which I always love when Europeans write um, about that kind of stuff. Like uh, they usually have such an amazing perspective to ridicule and enhance even some of the elements of the tropes of it. He wrote this novel called Short Letter Long Farewell, which is a, it's, it's a lot like I was describing Dog of the South, how like this guy is chasing his ex-wife. Well, this guy is, he's after his ex-wife too. He's from, he's coming from Eastern Europe, I think, to, uh, to, to meet up with her. But she's calling him and leaving messages at, at hotels that he finds. So like she's purpose, he's not doing any of the work to find her really. She's like, taunting him kind of like I'm here I'm there and like he realizes that she's going to try to kill him but for some reason he's still drawn to like go and uh, I don't know, get killed by her I guess and he's headed west and uh, he winds up um, finding his brother as a logger out in uh, Oregon he finally gets there and sees his brother and uh, he just spies on him in the woods taking his shit and then he's like alright saw my brother and yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a fucking amazing book yeah, it's so funny and weird. But I'm oh, sorry, the guy the guy is a is a, a, a pro Holocaust fella. Yeah, something like that. He was like, uh, he went to Slobodan Milosevic's funeral. He was like a supporter of his or something, which was okay. like, you know, not the uh, not the World War Two Jewish Holocaust, but uh, different. I think oh, he's oh, he's he's a, he's a, like a genocide supporter. I, I don't know enough about Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't have referred to it as the Holocaust, but just like a <laughs> a Holocaust, a just a a genocide, a Holocaust. I'm I'm not looking forward to you know generations from now when a certain amount of people get mass murdered and we call it you know a million, two million, three million people get mass murdered and we call it the genocide. You know, <laughs> right now we we have the Holocaust. But we don't have the genocide yet. But um, <laughs> that's a good point. So let me see. I'll give you one last one. So this book I always recommend to people, and I and I love so much. It's another European book. It's by uh, Toby Johnson. Toby Johnson. Uh, she's the um, she's the creator of the Moons, and she's got you know, the Moons are great. Finnish Doctor Seuss or something. But um, yeah, she, I know. I yeah, I know. I know. I know about them. Uh, yeah, very, very popular. Yeah, so she's a genius in many different forms, and she, you know, she writes literary fiction aimed at adults, cranky adults, and she wrote this this really slim novel called Fair Play, which is about her and her partner um, living. I think they live in like Stockholm. They're, li- they're living in Switzerland or something, and you know, living in this apartment in separate apartments, but with like a passage that connects like a shared communal attic somehow. So they do a lot of their artwork there and they do, um, they watch, it's a lot like this Peter Honke book where it's a satire on America. They, so they watch like, um, Westerns and they talk about the influence of American culture on like the things they like. And they talk about American history and why Americans are how they are. And it's like, just so interesting. Cause it's like, it's like, talked about this before but it's like led zeppelin trying to play like black blues music they can't do it because they're they're just from mars you know what i mean mm-hmm. so they're like trying to play muddy waters and it becomes this other thing 
but when like people from Switzerland are trying to write like a Bukowski novel or something, which is a little bit like what Fair Play's like, but much more elegant, it winds up taking on this completely just vivid and different, um, or maybe more about like a Henry Miller novel or something. But it's just like they wind up after they critique America and they're making all this art together. They decide to go on vacation, so they go down to the they go to the American Southwest. And they have a bunch of like experiences down at these strange hotels down in, in the deserts of like New Mexico. And they, they're in Gallup, which I visited, which is amazing. It's like they built this big old hotel there, uh, right outside Gallup, where they they filmed a lot of westerns and stuff. And so when you stay there, the the rooms are all named after uh, big western stars, and you can stay in the Ronald Reagan room and stuff. And yeah, it's just an incredible book. Fair play by, I, I call her Tove. Tove Johnson. Sure, yeah. I, yeah. But it's, you know, if you're from... If you're... That is a... a Joey's been, been sort of uh, yeah, I logging show... these on on uh, on his phone, and, and uh, it's a New York Review of Books uh, classic. Yeah. So it's one of those... Uh, I don't know. You can probably picture it in your head, the, the way those books look. Yeah, that's what this is, too. It's a New York Review of Books. She's got a few of them. True Deceiver, Summer Book, um, Fair Play, which is my favorite all right. Well, I, yeah, I'll check it out. We'll, we'll maybe we'll, uh, we're, we're compiling all these and maybe we'll use them to, uh, create modules in the future. Um, who knows, who knows what we'll do with these lists. Yeah. But, but I'm bad. I'm bad at that. Cause people will say, like, what's well, a great road trip novel. And I'm, I'm like, you know, uh, to the lighthouse, <laughs> 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 which is like my favorite novels. Every time I can just like talk about to the lighthouse, I'm happy. That's, uh, I'm, fascinated that to the lighthouse is your favorite novel we could talk about that for a very long time uh that's a major plot point in the major motion picture nerve starring emma roberts never heard of it i it's very dumb and i love it very much okay all right well yeah to the lighthouse uh we'll if if we ever read to the lighthouse for this for this podcast we'll bring you back on and we'll 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 talk modernism and uh, oh man virginia wolf <laughs> you never you never read that book that's really really uh no i read it i i, okay. I read it in, in, in school i haven't um, read it because i'm an un, uneducated fool that i mean it's a uh yeah yeah I'm, the lighthouse is a really interesting uh book that's not fun at all i don't think which is maybe it's not fun i tried to read it when i was younger like i'm not i didn't you know didn't go to college um you know, being prescribed books thing kind of never, yeah, never sure. really worked for me because I would have to just find them laying around. You know, like even in high school, I didn't like to read what we had to read for class. So, but I would read the books that were laying around. Like other classes were reading uh, Catcher in the Rye, which I never had to read for school. I don't believe. Um, you know, I read that years before I would have had to read it because it's just laying around. So, what is this? And then you pick it up and you, you're on your own. To the Lighthouse. To the Lighthouse, I think I was 20. Two or so, and I remember mm -hmm. just I kind of I kind of came to it, and I was like, "What is this?" You know, I started reading it. And I'm like, 50 pages in, I'm like, "All right, she's just fucking with me." Like, we're not we're not going to this lighthouse. She's just, <laughs> so we're not going there. And I like probably 15 years later, I, when I was reading Ulysses for the first time, I wound up um, reading like a chapter of it a week for 18 weeks. And once I got the ball rolling, I'm like, "All right, the first week I'll read." Chapter one, and then I'll read Hamlet or something because I'd never read Hamlet, and I was like, then, then I'm on the hook. I'm like, all right, I'm reading, I'm trying to read what are considered some of the greatest books ever written that are or plays or whatever that are like small enough to digest in a week, 
and mm-hmm. I fell down the track of the uh, modernists with a lot of Faulkner stuff and Virginia Woolf stuff. And that stuff was amazing, really amazing, and a lot of times better than Ulysses. My take on that is is uh, that you know, high school students are always getting uh, assigned Nathaniel Hawthorne or uh, like stuff that they're like that stuff is great, but you have to like learn how to love to read before you start reading things like that. And if you don't already love reading, then that stuff will like just dick punch you. You won't, you won't like get out of it alive. It it will, it will turn you off. So like if I had been forced to read to the lighthouse when I was in high school, I probably would have ran screaming, but you know, by the time I was older uh, and I, I read it for a class in grad school and I, you know, I loved it then, um, but like I had to learn how to read before I, before I really enjoyed that book, you know? Yeah, totally. And that's a book too that like, um, you know, as, if you're a writer and you're like, well, I'm not sure what, what I, what I can do. If you read those modernists, there's so much incredible stuff that they, they improved on or invented or experimented with that is so it's been abandoned in, in, in the way people write now. Right. That, that it can be brought back and subvert a lot of things. If someone started, started uh, like picking and picking from Gertrude Stein, like it would be an interesting, refreshing, nobody would know what to do with that book now. And it would be like, le- almost like introducing a brand new style all over again. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So it's like the whole floating consciousness stuff. That was really helpful rewriting the, uh, the drafts of teenager into the third person, seeing how that, how that works and clumsily. You know, Virginia Woolf just sits down and it just comes to her. She's a genius, but I think probably she she was a thirteen draft person, fifteen draft person too. So I, you know, I I think that that uh, probably tortured herself over sentences and and stuff like that. Maybe my future is walking into the river with a bunch of stones. <laughs> maybe maybe that's all of our futures. Maybe yeah. from here on out, we're all we're all stones in the pockets into the rivers. People. She's a Jeff Buckley died in a river lady. Uh, yeah, Jeff Buckley is a died in a river of Virginia Woolf. Yeah, he was copying her. Yeah. Really? No, I, I, Jeff. I don't think Jeff Buckley killed himself. I think he died accidentally. He oh, died in the river, yeah. though. Yeah, he went. He tried to go swimming in the Mississippi River at like midnight or something. That's a bad like idea. Yeah, poor Jeff. Yeah, it's, it's so bad for anybody who drowns. That's got to be the worst way to go. The other day, yeah. though, I was um, I was at work, and um, the safety guy I was talking about. You know, so it's, it's something tragic that happened. You know, and as soon as I hear that, I'm like, I start to be like, oh, gotta keep my game, gotta get my game face on. And he starts talking about someone who died in his town. You know, can we have a moment of silence for this guy? He says his name. He says, I, you know, I didn't know this guy very well. I only talked to him four times. I knew of him, but I didn't really know him. And I talked to him four times, and I was like, well, how do you do that? You know, <laughs> how do I talk to someone four times and then still consider that I don't like know them? I know of them. I don't know. Like I, I would just assume as soon as I even say good morning, more than good morning to somebody. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that person, you know, man, but, if um, I had to eulogize everyone that I only talked to four times who died, I would do it. I would do it, man. I, you know, but I, I'm the kind of person who like a random Internet person like writes to me and it's like, hey, I'm getting married. Write me a poem or something. I'm like, oh, Let's do it. You know? I just had to write somebody a happy birthday letter um, for just, I, I'll just, whatever, you know, 
Who am I? All right. Well, well, you guys heard it here first. Email Bud Smith and he'll write uh, uh, poems for your wedding. Yeah, Bud, we're up at two, you and me. So I got two more and then I can safely die and you'll eulogize me. So I'm halfway there, I guess. You are. I will eulogize you. but And I also, if people write, I will, I will write them a poem for their wedding. But it's probably not going to be uh, what you want. You know, it never is. But like, um, <laughs> so anyway, so this guy's talking about this tragic thing and knows this guy in town, he dies. He knows of him, not knows him. And then he says how he died. He fell into a pit of raw sewage. And, and that was my reaction. I fucking started laughing. And, you know, they kind of looked over at me like, what the fuck's so funny? And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, that you know, Mel Brooks says, you know, tragedy is when, when I cut my finger. Comedy is when someone falls in an open sewer and dies and it is sorry like but so you know we were making light of Virginia Woolf killing herself in a river with stones not funny Jeff Buckley drowns himself suicidally not suicidal just drowns and uh not funny but the guy who fell in the open pit of raw sewage and died hilarious well what I what I love about this story is that it puts a bookend on both the season because we started the season with Sylvia Plath famously dead and now we're ending with Virginia Woolf, also famously dead. And we started this episode talking about New Jersey, and we end it with Toxic Avenger falling into a vat of toxic waste and being New Jersey's only superhero and <laughs> becoming, you know, who he is. Yeah. So, and it's also it's also good because I don't want to perpetuate the um, the hysterical woman thing and, and, you know, suicidal hysterical women, Freud, Dr. Freud shit. And there's just as many men killing themselves in real life, and uh, some of them do it in sewage pits wait did this guy kill himself he threw himself into a sewage pit <laughs> well he fell in there i don't know oh okay i was gonna that, that's like a savage self-hating thing to like <laughs> i'm gonna kill myself and i'm gonna do it by throwing myself into raw sewage yeah Holy fuck, in the worst weird. yeah the worst way worst way well thank you so much for joining us bud this was great and thank you for writing teenager i really liked it yeah thanks a lot thanks for everything yeah man well uh i i will uh i think i'll see you tomorrow because you're doing a reading at thunder oh Road shit Books, oh you're although. gonna go cool yeah, it's right down the street from my house. But this is uh, th- this episode won't come out until after that's already done. So. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. This past weekend, you guys hung out. Yeah, this past weekend. Yeah. All awesome. right. So uh, I'll see. What time is that tomorrow? It's 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 one p.m. <laughs> oh 1 PM. shit. Okay. Yeah. Right on. I know. I thought it was at night, but well, you're cool. a daywalker now. Yeah, I'll I'll be there. I'll be there. One p.m. Thunder Road. Cool. See I'll you tomorrow, s- bud. Yeah. See you tomorrow, man. Thanks. Thanks for uh, thanks for future coming. Oh wait, hold on. I have we 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 close every Bob closes every episode by saying a, today's crime. Pick any crime. What's today's crime? Today's uh, crime is no, not you. Him. Okay, yeah. What's a what's a cool crime, bud? Today's crime is today's crime is lying to your mother. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs>